Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for being here. On Tuesday, Detroiters have a chance to put their stamp on future development projects in the city of Detroit, including things like how many local workers are hired for major projects. There are two competing proposals that would enforce community benefits agreements with development projects. Which one is best for Detroit? taxpayers and residents. Should voters approve both or should they approve neither? Supporters of each proposal join us now to make their case. Mike Jackson is the executive secretary treasurer for the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters and Millwrights and Rashida Tlaib is a lawyer with the Sugar Law Center and a former state representative. Both of you, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. So, Rashida, I want to start with you, uh, and then we're going to go to Mike. I want to. The first thing we need to do is explain these proposals. A lot of the things that I hear from people uh, in in Detroit about them is that they just don't know what the difference is between them, uh, yeah. and they're not they're not clear on what one would do, what the other would do. There's, of course. A pretty aggressive campaign, I would say, to try to confuse people uh, about yeah, proposal A. Absolutely. Um, uh, proposal B has a little more uh, explication. I think that's that's straightforward. But we want to start with sure. just the facts. What what would proposal A do? And then we'll talk about proposal B. Yeah, I think it's intentional that there's two on the ballot. That was uh, not something that um, I think the community expected. Uh, but Proposal A, uh, which was uh, a, a working group with Council President Jones about four years ago, came together. Um, I think she was chairing the Skilled Trades Task Force, um, listening to developers, labor, and others. And, um, you know, as, as things were moving forward and as development was coming in, uh, I think the North End community was, you know, talking about M1, uh, which now became a streetcar. You had folks talking about uh, Whole Foods coming in. So development was happening and uh, the community and the neighborhoods felt a bit left off, left uh, out. Uh, things were changing. Uh, they weren't in the room when um, specific things were talking about. I mean, people really worried about Woodward bus uh, being taken off the line on Woodward when M1 uh, is is in commission. And so they developed something that said, okay, if our public dollars, and Proposal A says, if it's $15 million project or more, and that was based on looking at the last 55 projects, about average was about $8 million. Um, and then I think the highest was over, I think, 100 or so. So $15 million, um, and then $300,000 in tax breaks, that would trigger a community benefits process. And what that means is there is a notification of the community in a neighborhood that would host development. There would be authentic, genuine engagement. Uh, the burden would be on the community to organize itself. They would uh, then um, uh, work with the, the corporation or the company uh, creating the project and uh, produce a document that they all s sign, a legally binding document. That's very, very important to understand that a community benefits agreement is one that's signed by the community. The city, of course, can sign it, and the developer, the corporation, and uh, the city and, council then yeah, gets to approve yes or no on on whether or not they would agree that the community benefits agreement, as written, is okay. So the city council at the end does make the decision. 
Proposal B has a higher trigger amount. Uh, it's about $75 million. And I think those that even support Proposal B have actually said that they thought it was a bit extreme. Um, and it is. Uh, I think in the last 55 projects, only one would actually qualify. What's, so it's a non-starter. Let's threshold. talk about the number there. What's the, uh, what's the it's, threshold? It's, say, it's 75 million. Yeah, go ahead, it's, Mike. Yeah, yeah, it's 75 million. It's 75 million, million as opposed to 15 million. So yes. big gap between those two. $60 million difference in the size of the projects that would be affected. Agree. And I think Council President Jones, when it was produced, I think the $100 million amount came up and she asked Detroit Economic Growth Corporation, uh, the Economic Development Department, she did do her research because I said, you know, us as a community, we're looking to you as city council to ask, you know, to try to find out and research whether or not that is uh, a good number. But again, we felt like it was a non-starter. If you look at all the 55 projects that have come in, uh, in the, I think in the last, I'm not even sure, a few years, only one would have qualified. And so that that was something that we pushed back on. Um, and the biggest issue, I think, for Proposal B is that many of it is it's a kind of a glorified community engagement process, right? Uh, the um, n uh, advisory council is created. It's very orchestrated, very structured. That's something that we see now currently happening with a lot of projects and nothing gets produced. But there is language in there that I think not only Sugar Law Center for Economic and Social Justice, Rise Together, Detroit Coalition, we all have a problem where it specifically prohibits the community from signing something that's legally binding. That's when we drew the straw and said, you know, uh, this is not a community benefits agreement. This is all intended not to actually be real, but just to confuse and undermine what we've done with Proposal A. And that's why when you read Proposal A and B, it's only a summary or synopsis or the intro paragraph for both ordinances is not the full ordinance. Yeah, they can't you can't the tell the difference. It's really it's going to be very difficult. Yeah, for I mean, people. it was. People don't like it called, but it was pretty much like a Snyder move. I mean, if you think about it, it was a very undermined. I mean, true. We 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 worked very hard, collected signatures for Proposal A, got it on the ballot, did it in a very grassroots democratic way. I mean, we have the rights under city charter to do that. And then within 48 hours, no matter what anybody says, everybody knows there was no Proposal B until there was a Proposal yeah, A. Yeah. Uh, Mike Jackson, uh, Executive Secretary, Treasurer of the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters and Millwrights, you support Proposal B. Uh, right. So talk about that proposal and why you think it's better than A. Well, and again, uh, I uh, agree with Rashida that it's important to me that people understand we support community benefits. We think that developers that come in should provide you know, community benefits for the community uh, up to where it keeps them from coming in. Uh, the problem that we see with Proposal A is twofold. Number one, it actually specifically removes the mayor and the city council from the process until this community group is done. And you have to have a basic understanding of the development community and, and the contractor community to understand that that is a big hurdle for developers. And there is no. So, in other words, you would be dealing with the community first, and then going to the council. Right, and the, and, and the way it's written, the developer has no idea who these people are. We don't know if they have any development experience. You know, uh, uh, one of the roles we play in Detroit, or, or you know, we've been headquartered in Detroit for nearly twenty years, is we've invested in that time period well over a hundred million dollars in Detroit development, and we're looking at projects right now. And the job of our real estate people is to remove the unknowns if we're actually going to invest money. 
And um, that's what's happening here is you're putting so many unknowns on the table for these developers um, that that we are convinced and in talking to the development community uh, that this is going to cost development. And there is no community benefit if the developers choose to go somewhere else. And, and in this conversation, what people aren't taking into consideration is the risk the developers take because the developers are bringing their own money to the table and they're taking a risk by developing. And if you have a community that's just miles away that is not putting this barrier in front of them and they can put their development somewhere else, you know, then they will choose to go somewhere else if you have too many unknowns. Okay, so I've got questions for both of you about these proposals, and I'm going to start with Prop B, um, and then we'll get to, to, to my questions about Prop A. Uh, you say that uh, this this will discourage development, uh, and that uh, you know this erects an, another barrier to the idea of development here in the city of Detroit, but. At the same time, doesn't the community have reasonable expectations that when tax money is offered to these developers, I mean, we're not talking about people who come in and only use their own money. We're talking right. about people who are getting help from us, the community, right. uh, through our tax dollars to make these developments work. What's wrong with saying, hey, uh, you, you've got to deal with the community and you've got to negotiate a, a way to make sure that we benefit from your development. And, and that's what Prop B does. Again, but only at the $75 million level, which is, right. I mean, there there are very few projects in the city of Detroit that, that are quite that big, right? Right. But you're taking for granted in, in that statement that there is no community benefit on these other projects right now. And, uh, you know, these there is a benefit to the community every day in the, in the form of jobs and, and we've we found that most of the developers, number one, if it's a manufacturing facility that's coming in, they've already done the demographic. They already know about the workforce. They already know about infrastructure. They already know about the taxes. Other communities are offering those same tax incentives and tax breaks um, to get that manufacturer to move in so they can benefit from the jobs. So that's, you know, you're talking about competing with other um, who are maybe not asking as much? Correct. That maybe not not asking as much, but even more than just how is that the, not a race to the bottom? And no, even though not asking for as much, it is the process that you're talking about. And I'll give you an example right now. We're looking at a project in Detroit right now, and there was a funding gap, and because it's going to be part Mishta, it's going to be part private funding, it's going to be part banking, and there's about a $3 million funding gap for that project to come in that they're coming to us and ask to patch. Now, if you put Prop A on the table for us and we can't even get started until we have to sit down with a group of people who are undefined, that have no time limit for how long we have to sit there and, and discuss whatever it is, they have no limits of what they can ask for. We have other places we can put our $3 million. Right. Right. And, you just and, go somewhere else. And I'm sitting with a group of trustees that are both management and labor, and they're going to look at this project, and they're going to say, well, what about this? We're going to have to go through all these steps before we can even get to here. And they're going to say, what else do we have we can put this money into? Yeah. That's just one example. So, so, so I think it's really important, though. Developers deal with risks every time there's an election. Sure. Every time there's an election, there's an unknown. 
Uh, they don't know who they're going to deal with with the city every four years, every two years, depending on uh, the leadership as it changes. This is something that's very common. And, you know, I understand where Mr. Jackson is coming from because he's he's talking as an investor, not actually the carpenters, you know, job, but actual investors, because they do invest their pension funds in these projects. And that's where he's coming from. That voice is coming from that of a risk. But we have a risk every single day. Every developer and company does when they do a project. We have a risk, though, when we invest $284 million in a hockey stadium. We uh, have a risk when we spend $175 million in a oil refinery when we don't get delivered on jobs. So, and, and we're exposed to pollution. So there is, is a, it goes both, both ways. Sides, Absolutely. Sure. So, but I think it's it's really unfair to say there's this unknowns in Proposal A. There's an unknown in all kinds of development. So, so let's talk about the unknown, though, that does exist in Proposal A and the language uh, that's used in the ordinance is the host community representative organization. What what is that? That that that's a new term being being coined uh, in in law, and and it's a requirement. I mean, it says that that the developer will have to deal with this organization in order to to get a development done. But it's not defined in the law who that is yeah. or how it's even configured. How, so, so how the, are we to imagine what that looks like? Absolutely. So the so the research that we did with Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, with One Hill Coalition was over over uh, you know several black clubs, association, churches that were part of that coalition. It took a, a, a number of um, meetings and so forth for them to organize themselves. And I even talked to folks in San Francisco with Twitter again, the group that signed uh, the agreement, the community benefits agreement with Twitter uh, after they got a seven year tax break. And again, what we intentionally did is say that the burden is on the community to organize itself, because as soon as the development is, is going to be um, put into place and so forth, the city clerk will notify folks in the community. There will be a meeting that the council uh, district rep will actually convene uh, with the community, and that's where they need to be able to organize themselves. This organically happens all the time now. However, they're not required to actually sign an agreement. We see it now in Henry Ford with the West Grand Boulevard Collaborative. They meet every month or every two weeks sure. now with Henry Ford, but no one, when it comes to actually signing something, not an MOU, not a lever interest, but actually saying, if you're going to do this, if you're going to uh, talk about streetscape, if you're going to talk about aesthetics, if you're going to talk about affordable housing, can we at least have you sign an agreement where we can hold you accountable to it because the only people that could hold them accountable to it is that corporation that's dealing with Henry Ford and then we get left out. So it's really about enforcement. So, so, but this host community representative organization could, could take almost any form according to the law, correct? Yep. Yeah, and just like any mayor every four years can be any kind of form, <laughs> can be a conservative, a liberal, anti-development. Uh, just but we same elect thing with the mayor, That's right. right. And, and they and get to decide vote, at the end. And then we elect the city council Absolutely. and we, through a vote, how does this, how does this organization get get formed? Well, they get formed because it's the transparency is there. They all get notified. They come to the meeting if they want to be engaged with the developer. What's beautiful about this is now there won't be any fear on each side. They all, all get to meet each other. You know, there seems to be this sense of unknown, oh, uh, you know, uh, the um, I, somebody told me from the Neighborhood Advisory Council for the stadium, a lot of those groups that existed in the Cass Corridor did not, Olympia Development didn't know anything about them. And they've been working in the in the area for years, right? I mean, so so there was this connection, and there the fear just kind of went away, and they got to understand where the needs and values and st and where people are coming from. 
And it's not only just about first source hiring that I know like a lot of labor folks are worried about. It really is quality of life issues, Stephen. Sure. I mean, if you think about it's where about I'm, the impact that yeah, development. I sat with Delray has. residents yeah. with the bridge to Canada. Do you know what they asked for? Bus covers. Right. They asked for bus covers because forty percent of them use the bus. Yeah. Uh, the, and, and again, go ahead, Mike Jackson. Yeah, the, yeah. the the question really wasn't answered there. We have no idea who's going to sit on these different groups. But we each, don't know who each, the developers are let either. Me, let me finish. Each of the uh, developments is going to have a different set of people to deal with. You know, it could be people that aren't even from the city of Detroit the way this is written. There is no language for conflicts of interest. So somebody could have an extreme conflict of interest about what they may or may not be able to profit from if this development comes in. There's no, no language about that. And quite frankly, today, exactly what Rashida said, you have a process in place. It's called elections. The city of Detroit elects a city council and they elect a mayor to go through this process. And quite frankly, if you look at the results, things are going very well in Detroit right now. Things are moving very strongly. You know, I, I know there's a lot of discussion about 41 percent instead of 51 percent at well, the, at the stadium. Of, yeah, there's a lot but, of discussion about who who benefits from right. the things that are going well in Detroit. I think we all agree right. that certain things are going very well right. in the city. But but who's who's the beneficiary of all of that? And are the people who live here That's right. uh, benefiting as much as they could? And well, Stephen, again, 60%. when you say as much as you as they could, though, you have to remember you. And, and, and earlier on, you were talking about who you discussed this with and, and the people you talked to. Well, we the, the building trades don't remember being at the table. I haven't talked to developers that were at the table. There was no discussion about, um, you know, who exactly what is it that will actually work best for the city of Detroit amongst some of the major players. Yeah. Now, we, well, it was at city council for two years. <laughs> it was city council for two years. We've had public. I mean, they, they literally had it on the agenda at least half a dozen times. That's the public process, right? The car, I know for a fact IBEW was there. I think the strategy was, and everyone in, inside and Council President uh, uh, Jones can agree to this, she's been on council the longest, almost 12 years. She's never seen this, where it really was stalling it. Just let it die, they'll go away. But when we collected the signatures and actually got Proposal A on the ballot, that's when all of a sudden they had input. I think it's really important to know 60% of the people that, that live in the city of Detroit work outside of the city. 70% of the people that work in the city of Detroit, don't live in the city of Detroit. That's really important numbers. This came from the Regional Transit Authority. I mean, looking yeah. at where people are moving. I think those are important facts to understand. But more importantly, you all know there you are winners like and losers. You feel like those should, should look different. Absolutely. But also, there are winners and losers in this whole like so-called Detroit comeback. Comeback for who? You know, If you look at outside of what, I, we, we, what the community, actually, in the grassroots neighborhoods call the islands, if you get out away from the islands of various developments, you see a huge increase of poverty, um, decay, sure. and just a, a tremendous need even in our education but, system. But and we see that in community benefits agreements all across the country addressing those quality of life issues. It's important to, to, to point out that those issues were there before this development started, right? All, all of the issues you're talking about in the neighborhoods and, and the developers we talk to and the labor unions that are working on these projects are all working together to try to solve those problems. We have the AFL-CIO Housing Trust coming in trying to rebuild neighborhoods. We understand that there are, are issues out there. The question is, how does Prop A benefit that or fix that? If you tell a developer that, you know, you're going to have to employ people that don't have the skill set, if you went to a hospital 
and you had an RN work, you know, working on you in a hospital, would you want that RN to have the correct skill well, set? I mean, I think That's and, not what and we're. This is no. Listen, this is this is very important because That's in the construction industry today, what we have nationwide is a shortage of the skill set because sure. we came out of an eight-year downturn. But can't the benefits? I mean, couldn't the benefits agreement include, include training? Detroiters, we're, people who live here, we're doing order, it now. Well, and you are doing it, but I guess the question is, uh, should you be able to to should we count on your benevolence, I suppose, to to do that, or should it be part of an agreement that everybody signs? Again, the agreement. We that's why we support Prop right, B. Right is because if you put a group of people that are undefined. And we all agree it's undefined. We still haven't gotten the answer as to who how the, are these people the actually is. picked and who is going to be sitting there. And how do you know what their background is? How do you know if they have any development experience? How do you know any of those things? And you tell a developer, you have to come to terms with these folks before you can even talk to city council who are elected and the mayor who is elected about these tax abatements, it is a hurdle. you're no going question. to scare development well, I think it's out not of here. A, I wouldn't describe it as a hurdle. I could describe it as a process of, of creating, of <laughs> creating me, a negotiating. It's, it's a creating negotiating body. But no, no, it's okay. a hurdle It's because people are afraid. They're afraid of Detroiters, Stephen. Well, They're afraid. You know, we're lawyers. We're at, Listen, I can tell you there are people that are elected on city council that don't have the information. We have negotiation trainings happening across the city. We've actually shared that information with various people that are proposing uh, Proposal B to try to help them understand who the community organizations have Would been in be. existence for 25 yeah. years yeah. in some neighborhoods, for three decades. And you're saying you want to take our money, take our resources from fixing our fire hydrants, fixing our school system, fixing our, our neighborhoods right. for, for a hockey stadium, some... but but we can't sign an agreement that mm, says agreed. that's enforceable. I think that's that's what we're asking for is fairness. If we yeah. have to pay, we should have okay. a say. I, I want to make sure we get, we have a lot of callers, of course, who want to talk about this, and I want to make sure they get in here before we have to go. Dennis in Detroit, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Good morning. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, I had a question regarding Proposal A. Um, and Mike, you actually touched on it just uh, just a minute ago. Is how are these people who are going to serve on the uh, the host community organizations? How are they selected? Are they elected? Are they unelected? And how are they going to be held accountable if they don't do a uh, a good job? How how can they be removed? So these people are Detroiters. They're taxpayers. They gave up millions of dollars for that project, and they want to say when they are they're. they're public dollars are being used. This process that everybody is afraid of or calling it the unknown, that is every single day a city hall. And what we're asking is to get to know what this project is about, you how this can be a win-win. A this has been done all over the country. No matter what anybody says, yes, it was voluntarily. Done a, but city yeah. council and the mayor's office have so, always been supportive of community benefits processes. So quickly, though, it is done all over the country. This would be the only place that I can think That's of right. where it's a law uh, is that because we do we need the law because we've had such such trouble with the political process being able to extract these benefits? Is that the reason you think 
We've Absolutely. Got to put it into it's because dev- various folks have not met the requirements. The 51% hiring requirement is the one most popular talked about, but let's talk about Marathon. Marathon um, agreed to air monitoring. They agreed to a number of things that have not happened. They still continue to meet. I mean, some of the number one complainers of Marathon, I think, are the carpenters. Uh, I think that, you know, there are issues you there. You feel but, like the process has I failed you, so far. Absolutely. And you need the law there is no enforcement mechanism, yeah. Stephen. Right now, we have DEGC, it's a quasi governmental agency. They make the, they put these fines together. It's not something that's deterring them from actually uh, complying. Yeah. And, Mike Jackson, and the problem, problem here is, <laughs> is you identify you have to identify the problem and then ask yourself: Is this the solution to the problem? Now, Detroit just came out of bankruptcy. They just came out of an emergency manager. You have an elected city council. You have an elected mayor, and for some reason, um, uh, there's a belief that putting a group of people from the city, because all of the city council and the mayor are elected from the city of Detroit. So bringing this extra group of people together is going to solve these problems. And when you say the city's giving this money, remember one thing. The biggest point here is if that development doesn't come in, then there is no benefit. And that's what's going to happen here. You're going to see the biggest slowdown after we have had the biggest comeback in the city of Detroit. If these developers find out that this is another step, and it is a hurdle for a developer, I'm telling you, we deal with them every single yeah. day. Okay, uh, I, I wish we could go a full hour on this, and I would encourage everybody to go online, find information about Proposal A and B. It is out there. Read it really carefully before you go vote on November 8th. Rashida Tlaib of the Sugar Law Center, Mike Jackson, Executive Secretary Treasurer for the Michigan Regional Council of Carpenters and Millwrights. Thank you both for being here to talk about this very important issue. All right, up next, uh, we're going to have the host of On Being, Krista Tippett, is going to talk about her elections specials. Stay with us on Detroit Today.